Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. What do you do when you feel like God isn't responding? What do, you, what do you do when you feel like you've been praying and you've been praying and God is just silent on the issue? Or maybe let me phrase it another, another way. Uh, what do you do when God isn't doing what you want Him to do? Right? When you've been asking God, you know, I want to find Mr. Right, I want to find Mrs. Right, and I'm getting older a year at a time and nothing seems to be changing. When you've been waiting and you've been waiting to finally get pregnant, and they're not just lightweight, please, they're like anxious, crying out to God, and you can't seem to get pregnant, and all that you're receiving from God is silence. When you've been asking God for some sort of breakthrough in your marriage to radically change him or to her, and it just seems to be getting worse, what do you do with that, when you've been praying and you've been praying for that sister, that son, that mother, that father that keeps running back to the bottle and the pills to deal with the anxieties in your life, and you've been seeking God over that, and when you ask him, he just seems to be quiet. How do you deal with it when God doesn't respond, or when God doesn't seem to respond the way that you want him to respond? About 10 years ago, I've kind of told the story before, but there was a moment where we were considering a transition in ministry. I was really frustrated in the leadership environment that I was in, and so there was an opportunity in front of us for me to take a church in, in Ohio this, this, uh, to be on staff at this huge team, and it was this great arrangement, and it would have been really neat. And so I, I'm also feeling very conflicted inside, and so I said, God, just show me what you want me to do. And so I would pray earnestly, God, would you just show me what I should be doing? Should I take this or not? And I just heard crickets. I heard nothing. So I'm thinking, maybe there's sin in my life that I need to confess, so God will finally talk to me about something, you know, I didn't know at the time, and so I'm just like, all right, God, I had that. I thought about that dirty word that one time, you know. God, forgive me of that. Forgive me of being an ogre over my kids, you know. God, forgive me for buying that Android. I shouldn't have. Forgive me for, for loving that cat. I feel really bad about all of that. Um, God, maybe there's something I'm doing that's, that's blocking the way between you and me. And yet all I heard was crickets. And the silence sometimes is just deafening. When you've been pleading with God and he feels silent or he's not doing what you want him to do, that silence can be deafening. And it's just frustrating, isn't it? There was recently a, a radio station that was taking in callers and saying, hey, we want to hear from you today. Call in today and tell me what's going on in your life. And so someone picks up the phone, dials in, and you hear them just go, ah, I am so frustrated. And they go on to talk about everything that's happening in the world as they look at it, and they just yell into the phone, I am so frustrated at this moment. And we can identify with that, can't we? In the last year and a half, what has happened around us? You know, this thing that was supposed to last a few weeks or maybe a month or two ends up like 18 months later, we're still going, hey, when's everything going to go back to normal? In the middle of all of that, there's this, this thing happening with George Floyd and there's all this political unrest and these racial divisions happening. In the middle, and, then, and, then we're think, and then we watch what happens in Afghanistan and like that what we took 20 years to build up comes down overnight and it's just something. You look at it and you go, God, what is going on? And this is frustrating, isn't it? God, 
Where are you in the middle of all of those things that we see and that we experience and we cry out to you and we ask you for help? Why won't you just step in? Why are you being so silent? And in the middle of all of those kind of legit, like just gut level, like feelings, is we have this expectation, God, this is how you're going to respond to the problems that I encounter. And then this is what I experience. I was expecting here, but now I experience that. These two things are incongruent. And now I have a gap between those two things. And what do I do to fill that space? When our expectations don't match our experience, what fills that space can be the difference between a faith that grows and that is built and that gets stronger, or it can mean that we find ourselves in dismay, we found ourselves in despair, we find ourselves in distrust of God, maybe even disbelief of Him in the middle of all of that. And so the question that each of us have to kind of think about is that when we crawl out to God for deliverance for that thing, for that thing that we really want, for that healing, for that diagnosis we have, for that relationship that feels like it's just falling apart, and God is silent or he doesn't do what we want him to do, we have to figure out what we're gonna, how we're going to deal with that. How are we going to deal with that? How does that change how I feel about God when he feels absent or silent? God, do you really still love me? Can I trust in you? Are you trustworthy in the middle of all of this, God? What do we do when God doesn't blank? We fill in the blank. Fortunately for us, the Bible is full of all sorts of people, men and women, who were quite frank, were quite candid in their frustrations with God. People who had called out upon God to do something and they were met with silence. Maybe they were shaking their fist at what God did or did not do in response to their requests. One of those people was a guy named Habakkuk. And we're going to study over the next four weeks this small minor prophet in the Old Testament is one of those books that you just like go past on the way to the New Testament. It's one of, those, one of those books you don't even know how to pronounce. And by the way, I looked it up and no one can agree. So just say it however you want to say it. But here's the pro tip. If you say it with enough confidence, people will think you know what you're doing. So just say it quickly and you'll be in great shape, right? What's so remarkable about Habakkuk is Habakkuk was calling out to God. And what we find is that this is a person that picked up the phone, dialed into God's radio station, and yelled out, Ah, I am so frustrated with what I see. In his candor and his openness, it really demonstrates for us the kinds of things that we see and that we experience all the time in our prayers with God. I would encourage you that as we study this, that you would spend some time reading these three little chapters. It'll take you five to ten minutes. The amount of time it'll take you to eat a sandwich, you can hang out with Habakkuk and we can grow in this together. So open your Bibles to Habakkuk in the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets, Habakkuk chapter one, and we're going to be in verses one through four. And I want to just look at what Habakkuk says to God and what we can learn about it and how that helps us deal with that gap between our experience and our expectation. Habakkuk chapter one. 
It says this. It says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now, we don't really know much about Habakkuk. This is the only place that mentions him. And, uh, and all we know is that he was a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. So God has something he wants to communicate to his people. He would send a prophet to be the person that talks with them. Now, during this time, you'd have priests and you would have prophets, two groups of like holy people. And the, the priests were people that they would find in the temple. They would be wearing the good clothes. You know, they'd be wearing J. Crew. They'd have a nice haircut. They would look put together, right? They would be reputable in their community. They would be someone of influence. And then prophets, prophets were more wild-eyed than that. You know, they would have been wearing like the sheepskin and a loincloth, right? They'd be out in the wilderness. They weren't necessarily popular. They weren't necessarily on the in crowd. Some scholars actually believe that Habakkuk was actually both, that he was both a prophet and he was a priest. Because of chapter 3, he, he writes a letter and he sends it to the music director, so they think that maybe they were good buds, and since they were good buds, they hung out together in the temple, right? Some people think that he was both a prophet and a priest, now, before Jesus came, before we had the whole Bible, here's how God would deal with communicating with his people. He would say, hey, Dan, you're going to be my prophet. I want you to share this with the people. And Dan would say, do I really have to? And he'd say, yeah, Dan, you have to do this, so I want you to do it. And, and sometimes there'd be miracles involved. Dan would go, and he would communicate with the people, and he would share God's heart with the people. That's the way that it consistently work. Now we have the whole Bible. Hebrews 1 says, in the past, God used to speak through prophets in many, many times in many ways, but now he's spoken to us through his son, right? We have the written word and the living word with us all the time. So we don't work with prophets anymore. Oftentimes, that prophet would bring some sort of correction, would bring some sort of rebuke, like, hey, people, listen, listen up, right? That's the kind of thing that Dan would speak to us, right? Listen, 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 right? That's what would happen. But here's what we know to be true about what Habakkuk is about to share with us, and that's this, that the source of what he's going to say is God. God gave him this thing to, to, to speak out loud, okay? This is what he says in verse 2. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Now, hold on a minute. Who is Habakkuk talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking, he's talking to the Lord. But I thought, I thought normally, isn't it true that Dan would speak to the people? But no, hold on, here's what happened. God gave a message to Dan, and Dan was supposed to speak it, communicate it back to God. Well, that's, that's really fascinating to me. Why, why did he do that, right? All, all three chapters are really not a discourse of Habakkuk to the people, but it's a discourse between Habakkuk and God himself. Why would God do that? Doesn't God already know? If it came from him, if he was the source, why did God give this to Habakkuk to speak back to him? I think God does know, but I think God ordained these words to demonstrate to Habakkuk, to the Israelites, and to us what it looks like to struggle with disappointment, what it looks like to deal with that gap between our experience and our expectation. That's what he was demonstrating. So how, how does that show up, right? What are the words that God gives Habakkuk? This is what he says in verse 2. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? How long? 
How long, God? God, I've been calling out to you. Things are happening around me. I experience it. I see it. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'm asking you. I'm going to you in prayer. God, you've heard me. I'm speaking these things out loud, and you haven't responded. You're silent, Lord. How long, God? How long? Have you ever said that to God? Ever felt that way? How long? How long do I need to stand up under this? How long until they change? How long are we going to live paycheck to paycheck? How long is this diagnosis going to be something I live with? How long, God? How long? You're not acting quick enough is what Habakkuk was really saying. I have, I, I'm not contented with how, how, how quick you're dealing with my problems. So here's my complaint, God. You're not doing anything. And so Habakkuk builds his argument. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? How long do I cry out to you violence, but you don't save? So what was he experiencing? Like, what was he seeing? I mean, I get frustrated, but like, what was he going through? What was he living through? Well, Habakkuk lived um, around 600 years before Christ. This was shortly after the fall of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was in another very famous story in the scripture. It was the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Jonah was sent to go and preach to Nineveh, that, that Nineveh, right? It was a very wicked place, very, very wicked place. Well, eventually, they fell. They fell, the Assyrians fell to another, another group of people, right? It was after that time. But it was before the Babylonians, think Daniel, right? Before the Babylonians came into power. So that puts him right under the reign of a king of Israel named the evil king Jehoiakim II. He was an evil king. So what was happening at that point was God calls out these people, the Israelites, to be a nation of his own. He makes a covenant with them. Hey, you follow after me, there's going to be no end of the blessing that I'm going to give you in your, in your lifetime. And yet here's what happens. Before Moses even gets off the mountain, they're building the calf, they're worshiping the idol, they have a pathway of disobedience. God would send a prophet. He'd send, there goes Dan again, right? Dan would go and he would talk with the people, right? And he would say, hey, knock it off. And he would show like some amazing miracles and there would be the top of Mount Carmel where there's like all of the pagan, Baal, the pagan priests of Baal that are consumed with the fire, and people, oh, wow, God's real, and they would follow him for a little bit of time, and they would go right back into it again, and they would send another prophet, and they would go right back into it, and he would send another prophet and another prophet, and they would constantly be moving in this direction towards wickedness. What did that look like? Well, it was things like this. They would take their sons, and they would take their daughters, and they would take them into the pagan temples to these uh, these, these pagan gods, and they would sacrifice their sons and their daughters on those altars. So it was infanticide. There was great oppression of the poor, people that just took things for themselves and didn't care about anyone else other than them. There was refugees that were being abandoned and never cared for. Uh, there was kings that would just oppress and oppress and oppress, and it was egregious, and it was ugly, and there was violence on the streets, and it was very, very wicked and twisted stuff. There was hypersexualized idol worship and there was witchcraft all around. So it's not like it's not like hey there's largely a good group of people with just a bad a couple bad apples. This was largely wicked wicked people and this is what Habakkuk saw. It was so bad that 
Sodom and Gomorrah, that's another Old Testament story that was so wicked that God destroyed them with fire and brimstone, right? All of them, they're all gone, right? The book of Ezekiel tells us that as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah was, the Israelites were even worse than that. And Habakkuk is looking at this, and there is a remnant of holy people in the land, and he's saying, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm watching this happen. I'm seeing this stuff around me. God, why won't you act? It's not hard to see why he was so troubled, and this is what he goes on to say. Why do you make me look at injustice? The wealthy oppressing the poor, this isn't fair. It's not right. It's not right, this kind of domination that's happening. God, you're the one making me look at this because you can do something about it, but God, you're not. He goes, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? God, I can only assume that you're not fixing it, so that must mean that you condone it. You must be blessing this. You're tolerating what I see in front of me, and it's frustrating. He says, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Our people are supposed to be the people of God, and yet there's infighting amongst them. People can't get along. Does that sound familiar to you at all? When we look out across our culture, across the world, across our nation, when we look across our living room, I would be thrilled if I could get my kids to not argue for 30 minutes. I would feel great about that. There's just constant conflict everywhere we look. God, why are you tolerating that? He says, verse 4, therefore the law is paralyzed. We're trying to do good, but justice can never prevail The wicked hem in the righteous. Those people who are innocent are being condemned as if they are not. And those people who should be condemned are being let free as being innocent. So that justice is perverted. God says in the Old Testament, the things that I require that you would seek justice and love mercy. He cares about justice in the land. And Habakkuk is saying, I look and I'm not seeing it. I have no faith in our judicial system. Others have experienced that as well in our culture. Abusers are getting away with it. He picks up the phone, and he dials, and he says, God, I am frustrated right now. Why are you silent? Those are expressions, those are feelings that you and I have. When we see things, and maybe... Maybe we don't even have like this great prayer life with God, but I see something in the culture around me and I just say, this shouldn't be. Why is it? God, if you're really there, why are you letting this happen? I think what that does, I think it points to something inside of us that God created inside of us and it illuminates that we know that there's something wrong with the world as we see it that we are made for something more than what we experience, that there's this hole, this aching. The New Testament says that all creation groans and waits for the sons of God to be revealed. And we experience that too when we shake our fist and we see what happens around us and we say, God, why aren't you acting right now? It's really demonstrating that we are made for more and we feel out of balance when we experience things around us. So we feel, we feel frustrated that there's still racism in our culture and that kind of discontent, God would see that and say, you should feel like that's wrong. I look at that and I say it's wrong. That's proof 
That's proof that I put something inside of you. You're frustrated when you hear about children being aborted and there's sex trafficking and there's refugees in need. And we look at that and we say, no, we, we recognize that every person is made in the image of God and that should not be. That should, there's something wrong with the world. It's because God put that inside of us. And we're frustrated and we see this and we have this holy discontent that points to something that God has done inside of us. I think that's why Jesus said this on his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those people that experience those frustrations and they're mourning over it and they're grieving over it. He said, blessed are you when you mourn for that. Blessed are you, you'll be comforted, he says. The frustrations that we feel, God, why won't you fix this? It's pointing to something deep down, and it it makes us recognize that there's nothing less than the supernatural hand of God will be able to fix it. There's no political candidate. Like, really? Really? We think, like, if we just elect this person, we're all going to get along? We know that's not true. And if we just got our act together, then the whole world would be fine. No, we know that's not true. There's nothing less than the supernatural, active hand of God that's going to deal with what we see around that around us, and I think what Habakkuk experienced is what we experienced, that there's something deeply wrong with the world, and there's only a God-sized solution is going to fix it. So we feel frustrated when we experience that. God, you're silent. I'm asking, and you're not responding. I see it, and it's wrong. I know it's wrong, but I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to dial up, and I'm going to say like Habakkuk does, ah, I am frustrated. The good news is this, as the story of Habakkuk unfolds in the next two chapters, we see him insert something into that space between his expectation and his experience that lets him ground himself on the goodness and the presence of God in a powerful way. And what we see is that he, that, that faith is for our frustrations, that faith is for our frustrations, and that's what he walks into. In this itty-bitty book in the Old Testament actually becomes the foundation for the greatest pieces of theology that we have and the greatest act of awakening that happened to the church comes from Habakkuk, who later says, the just shall live by faith. That opened the eyes of the Apostle Paul to write the book of Romans, and it opened the eyes of Martin Luther to recognize that it's not what we do, but it's what we believe about God and that gap that defines us. We're going to go on to see that in the weeks to come, but this weekend as we think about that frustration that we feel, picking up the phone, dialing it up, and saying, ah, to God. I think there are two things that we need to process in a short little phrase that I think is the takeaway for us. And I'm going to just share it to you in two parts, and then we're going to memorize it, and you can take it with you. And it's, it's this. Here's the first phrase. Here's what Habakkuk shows us. He says that we need to be real with how we feel. Be real with how we feel. Say that out loud with me. Be real with how you feel. Be real with how you feel. Because many times, and for some reason in church, this tends to be true. There's like this glossy facade that I just need to say this. You know, if your life feels crappy, just be happy. Like that's what we should speak to ourselves. Just gloss over it. Walk in and say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed beyond measure and nothing's wrong with my life. And and I shouldn't feel that way, so I'm not going to acknowledge it. I shouldn't feel angry. It's wrong to feel angry, right? So I shouldn't be angry, right? And and that's not true. That's not what God's word says. 
says don't sin in your anger, right? But we think I shouldn't be angry at all or I shouldn't feel jealous or I shouldn't feel like God's abandoned me, so I'm going to suppress that. And we become spiritually constipated, right? Because we have this stuff going on inside of us and it's, and it's not coming out and it's emotionally unhealthy. We spiritually bypass it. We sterilize our faith when we marginalize how we feel. Now, here's what I love about God's word is over and over again, it is full of people who are brutally honest with God who they open their mouth and what comes out of them, I would be like, man, I would, sh- I would be shocked if someone said that in church. But they're just honest before God. They're real with how they feel. They are candid. In fact, there's a whole type of literature in Scripture called the, the laments. There's a whole book called Lamentations after that. It's where they are fashioning what Habakkuk did, and it was a complaint before God. Here are just a few of them. This is out of the book of Job. With everything that happened to Job... He listens to all of his friends. They speak a bunch of rubbish, and then he says this. He says, even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand, God's hand, is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. He puts his fist up to God, and he says, I would state my case before him, and I would fill my mouth mouth with arguments, and I would find out, and he would answer me, and he would consider what he would say to me. Could you imagine someone in church saying that? He was real with how he felt. Now, as an aside, God did speak to Job, and he humbled him pretty quickly, right? But he was real with how he felt, with how he felt. The psalmist in Psalm 142 says this. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaints. Before him I tell my troubles. Do you know that there's more psalms of lament and complaint than there are of any other kind? The psalmist just lives this out. There's someone that I need to turn to. Who do I turn to? I'm going to go to the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. And over and over again, we hear about why are people coming after me? Why am I experiencing life this way? And they complain and he voices it. What Habakkuk, and, and actually... David says, and Jesus then later quotes it. Jesus on the cross, this is what he says. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God in this time of greatest need, what does he do? He voices a complaint before God. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, let there be any other way that this happens. We don't have any record of God speaking anything other than you need to obey and walk through this. Even God God himself, Jesus Christ, had a complaint before him. I think what Habakkuk and what David and Jesus shows us is that God wants him to go to him with our complaints. The prophecy came from God. It was supposed to be spoken back to him. He wants us to go with our complaints. And when we go with our complaint, it's not necessarily a lack of faith. We're not saying, God, you're not this. We're saying, God, I thought you were supposed to be loving and patient and here with us in the storm. I'm not experiencing that. God, be who you say you are. Who are we going to in that case? We're going to the one person that can do something about it. You see, Habakkuk didn't have a weak faith. He had a perplexed faith. He didn't understand God, I don't understand why you're doing the things the way you're doing. I don't understand why you're not acting quicker. I don't understand why you're not delivering. We are calling out to you, and you are silent in this case. There are going to be those times when we're feeling these feelings inside, and we say, God, I, 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 feel, I feel ugly right now. 
what I'm experiencing. I know I shouldn't feel that way. My expectations aren't being met. In the middle of that, I feel jealous and I feel insecure and I feel angry about this and I shouldn't feel that way. There's times when we stop and we confess that up to God. Those emotions, what we're doing is we're we're inviting him into this transformative space for our faith to finally grow and change, for him to see and for us to see where we're out of alignment when we go to God with our complaints. About a week ago, a week and a half ago, I, I was on, I was on uh, Facebook, what I call friend face. I was on Facebook, and, and, and I'm, I'm just looking at someone's post, and they posted about something great happening in their world, and, and I feel like saying, yeah, good for you, but inside I started feeling like, oh, man. I started comparing, and I got in this comparison trap of comparing my life with the things that were going great in their life. I started feeling jealous and insecure about it. And you know what my impulse is to do is I shouldn't feel that way, so I'm not going to feel that way. I said, no, 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 no. God, I'm feeling jealous and I'm feeling insecure because I think my life should turn out this way and I don't feel like it is. There's this area that I feel like there's this misalignment. I had this expectation. Here's what I experienced. I feel like maybe you messed up. And I needed to speak that back to God. <laughs> I needed to invite him in to be transformative in that space in my heart. I think God welcomes that. And when we welcome him into the mess of our hearts, it allows him to transform and renew our thinking where we're out of alignment. So we be real with how we feel. Now, here's the other part. We be real with how we feel, but we go with what we know. Be real with how you feel, but go with what you know. Say it back with me. Be real with how you feel. And go with what you know. I had a pastoral coach that told me that when I was in the middle of some big tri- tribulations. He said, be real with how you feel, Avi. Tell God how, how you feel. But don't stay there. Go with what you know. Remind yourself what's true in God's word. So I'm going to be real that I feel frustrated, I feel angry, I feel disappointed. That's the first step. But I'm going to go with what I know. I'm going to go with what's true in God's word And I know what's true because I've read it. So it's things like this. I know I feel alone right now, but God, you said that you would never leave me or forsake me. And resources are tight right now, but but you've told me that, that your eyes are even on the sparrow and to consider the lily of the field who doesn't toil or spin, and yet Solomon in all of his splendor was never clothed like one of those. So I shouldn't worry because God owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides and he's gonna be able to provide for me. So I don't need to worry. It's when I, what I see what's happening in my diagnosis, and I know, then I say to myself, God, I know that you're going to work all things out for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. When people are abandoning me and I think I'm all alone, I remind myself that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's no height, there's no depth, there's no, there's no life, there's no death. Nothing can separate me from that. I might feel alone, but I, I, I'm going to be real with how I feel, but I'm going to go with what I know. And God, that's, that's your here with me in this space. I feel like I'm failing at everything I do, but he says that I'm dearly loved and that I'm more than a conqueror. I might feel anxious that I don't have what it takes to live out a life following Jesus in my school, but his word tells me that I've been given everything I need in Christ Jesus through his divine power for life and godliness. And so I'm going to be real with how I feel, but I'm going to go with what I know. God, I know you seem distant, but you are present and active. I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. I know that you hear me. I'm going to be real with how I feel, but I'm going to go with what you know. And here's what I'm just going to tell you, people, because I love you. You can't 
you can't, be, you can't go with what you know if you're not in God's word. If you're not hiding it in your heart, you have no weapon to fight off the enemy. All right, now I'm going to quote my friend here who was preaching this a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. He preached a message where he talked about defending ourselves with the word of God. You remember this one if you were here, right? He had a samurai sword and he told the story of Chris and Lori in their backyard before kids practicing samurai sword moves, which was just this glorious picture in my mind to see them both doing that, right? And this is what he said. He said, when you hear the lie, God, you're never going to be with me. God, I'm alone. No one cares about me. When you hear a lie, be a samurai, when you hear a lie, be a samurai. That's the, that's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if you're not in God's word, you're going to be subject to the enemy attacking you, and you're going to believe those lies. It's like walking into the battle without having a rifle or a sidearm or anything to fight off the enemy. You've got to be in God's word. Be real with how you feel, but you go with what you know. When God may seem silent, you voice it. You voice the frustration, you pick up the phone and you dial and you say, ah, because God wants us to do that. If you're a parent, you know this is true. When your child's hurting and they're frustrated, you, you feel the warmth of relationship when they finally come up to you and they say, I am hurt. And you didn't come through the way that I thought you were going to come through. You know what that feels like. And how is our Heavenly Father any different than that? He wants us to approach His throne in prayer. Faith is for our frustrations. And what's fascinating about faith is faith is really only meaningful in the frustrations. It's easy to follow God on the mountaintop. It's easy when you've gone to the event and you're feeling great and you've got the bumper stick and your Bible with you and you've got this new book and you're just feeling on top of the world when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. But it's those dry times in the desert that define our faith more than anything. Isn't that true in marriage? It's not hard to love my wife when I feel Twitter-pated, when she hangs the sun, moon, and stars. But that's not hard at all. But when I have to be next to her when she's ill and I'm cleaning up her Kleenexes and bringing her a bucket because she's feeling sick, when she's unlovely, that's the truest expression of love and faithfulness, isn't it? Not when you're on the mountaintops, but when you're in the depths. That's why faith is for the frustrations. Faith means the most in the frustrations. Now, as preaching, I was told you should never deliver a message until it's devotional. In other words, it needs to mean something to your heart. And so as I've been preparing for this series on Habakkuk and asking God, all right, rattle around in my bones, knock the crust off of my heart. Where do you want us to go together as a church body? As I've been preparing for this, there's been this stream of happenings that have left me discouraged and disillusioned in ministry. I was told when you plant a church that it would be the hardest thing that you ever do. Take it, what you think it's going to be, make it two times as hard, and that's probably getting close. I was told that you're going you're to be surprised at the people that said they were on, in the car on the ride and that you turn around and they're not there anymore. And you know what I can say four years into the process is that both those prophetic words are very, very, very true. <laughs> and it's challenging and it's hard. Now, I don't want to say for a moment, I am... 
I am so blessed to do what I do. I love what I do. My job is not any harder than anyone else's job here. We all have hard things to do. But this has been a, a season for me where I've just been feeling thin and I felt weary. And I've been thinking, God, where's the breakthrough? God, I, I read books and I see stories and I see videos about, man, this is amazing. You know, God stepped in and there was this breakthrough in our marriage. Man, this thing happened. Look, this is a tremendous provision for us. Look at this, look at this, this area of blessing in our lives. And I'm just saying, God, I feel weary and I feel thin. Where's our breakthrough? Where's the miracles? I want to see those marriages released. I want to see those, those stories of victory. God, how long? How long? For us, the how long has to do a little bit with where we're at physically. Like, we've been in this weird space of limbo. We were meeting the elementary school. God opened up this opportunity for us here. We don't know how long we can stay here, what that's going to look like. We're looking for other opportunities. They've All those doors have shut. We're in a time and a period where God is just saying, wait. Just wait. Just wait. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm very future-oriented. It's like, there's that goal. I want to be there now. God says, wait. And I just say, how long, God? How long? Where's our breakthrough? We want to have a presence in this community where at Railroad Days, and someone's, oh, this is great. The church looks amazing. Where are you at? Well, we used to be in the elementary school. Now we're in this building. We don't know how long we'll be there. It's not really that building. It's this building right here. Our sign may there be there, may not be there, but we really love you, and we really want you to show up, and we want to be here for our community, <laughs> right? How long, God? How long? How long? I feel frustrated by this. And so this book series, this study, is for me. It's for me, and I think it's for you too because I know the frustrations that are here. I have these conversations with so many people. Well, we're calling on God, how long, how long? I feel frustrated. I think God's calling us to be real with how we feel, but go with what we know, and what we know is that God's been faithful at every step in the past, and he's gonna be faithful in the future. We can look forward in confidence in your life and in my life, and the things that you're going through as well, and the breakthrough that you're waiting for. You be real with how you feel. You go with what you know. What we're going to see is God's going to open his mouth and respond to Habakkuk much like he responded to Job. And he's going to say some things and he's going to do some things. And what we're going to see is Habakkuk goes from just having this voiced complaint before God and he's going to go to this place where he says, hey, no matter what, no matter what, God, I want to trust in you. And that's the journey that we're going on together. Let's pray together, and then the, the worship team's going to come back up, and we're going to spend some time just worshiping back. We're creating space. That's what we're doing for you just to speak to God. And so if you would close your eyes with me right now, and I just want to ask you to spend a few moments here with the Lord with whatever words you want to. Maybe you know how to talk to him. Maybe you don't. He just, you just need to mean it in your heart that you would go to him, and you would voice the frustration. You pick up the phone. You say, God... How long? God, I feel. And you fill in that blank. Go to him in this time.
the relational breakthrough you've been asking for. It's the financial provision. It's the freedom from sin. Go before Him. He welcomes you <laughs> just the same as you welcome your children into your presence. You care about Him, but we have a perfect Father who never gets tired or weary. He's not overwhelmed by your burdens. He's delighted to share in them with you. God, would you uh, empower us, enable us, equip us to walk into your throne room with freedom and confidence to receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need because of Christ, the one who was also, dis- the, the one who was also disconnected and hurting at his time of greatest need. He knows what it feels like. Because of that, it says that we can come before your throne room to receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And we can say, how long? We can say, God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm angry. You welcome that. God, help us to be real with how we feel, but to go with what we know. You are good, and your love endures forever. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.